Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me here as we wind down the year 2023. Uh, what an exciting weekend this is going to be as we say so long to 23 and hello to 2024. Well, I thought it'd be great to end the broadcast year talking about some questions about Christmas and dealing with some questions that people have and things that really come down the pike that really need to be addressed, okay? So we're gonna take them one at a time. There's 10 of them that we'll go through real quick. And as we end this year, I hope that you have some good goals for the new year. I hope that you take on the challenge in the new year to read your Bible through this year. And if you're like me, um, I've tried to read through the Bible once a year. I don't always do it, but I try to make that as my goal. And one of the ways that has really helped me is I actually will listen to the Bible as I read it. Because there's a lot of sections in the scripture. Uh, man, they get kind of hard to pronounce the names and to go through all the, the these and the thous and, and all those Old Testament names. And, um, you know, when you go through all the lineage and all that, uh, it can get mighty confusing. And then when you get in the book of Leviticus, man, all that ceremonial law, man, it'll get your head spinning. And so I found a way to help me is that I will listen to it as I read or I'll listen to it as I walk. And uh, I spend my walk time uh, spending a lot of time just praying for my neighborhood. As I walk by people's house, I said, I don't know who lives here, but I want to pray for this person. And there's something about praying for people that really will transition their life. So I pray that you will pray for your neighbors. And if you're looking for a place to worship on New Year's Eve, all right, we're doing one service on December 31st. Uh, we're doing one service at 9 a.m. So why don't you come on out to Hickory Ridge Community Church this Sunday at 9 o'clock. Man, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to worship with you. Well, let's look at 10 questions about Christmas. All right, we'll look at question number one. Well, why is a virgin birth so important? Well, I want you to know the foundation of our faith as believers in Christ rests on the virgin birth of Christ. Why is that so important? Because if Jesus was born and had an earthly father, he would have had a sinful nature. Because Jesus did not have an earthly father, he had an earthly mother, he did not have sin. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. Jesus was conceived when Mary, by the Holy Spirit, was able to come through called the hypostatic union. And so Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by a human man. A very important to our faith to understand that Jesus would not have a divine nature if he was not virgin born. So he was miraculous. Now, when I think about the virgin birth, I was reading a survey where they actually said that 1% of women who give birth claim that their birth is a virgin birth. Now, as I think about this, that can't be true, right? Uh, and obviously it's not true. And I guess what happens with a lot of people, it kind of falls into the category of a mental illness issue where they are in denial or whatever, uh, and they're claiming something that is not true. When Jesus was born of Mary by the Holy Spirit, he was able to fully be God and man. But Mary was not under any kind of delusion. She knew that she never had a relationship with Joseph. It wasn't that she had a mental breakdown. She wasn't in denial about it. She knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that she had no relationship with Joseph with another Roman soldier, with anybody else, she was a virgin. Now, this is one of those things, I guess you got to take it by faith, but without the virgin birth of Christ, Jesus could not be God. Number two, it seems like within the Bible, there's a lot of different 
and contradictory accounts about Jesus' birth. Why is there so much apparent contradiction? Well, I think we need to remember as we look at the Bible. With the life of Jesus, we have four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the Gospels. And each one of these Gospels was written by different authors. Now, of these four authors, only Luke was a Gentile. Luke was the physician. Matthew was the tax collector. He was a Jew. Mark was a Jew. And of course, John was a Jew. But Luke tells us the Christmas story from a perspective of a doctor and of a Gentile. And so he is giving us that description of Jesus being born in a stable, being placed in a manger. Now, when Matthew describes the same event, Matthew describes Jesus and his family as living in a house. You see, Luke tells us that the sky was filled with stars, but Matthew tells us there was only one star. So what's the contradiction here? As we decipher this, we discover that coming from a different angle, Matthew is focusing on that particular night, the night that Jesus was born. There was only one star. All the other stars were blocked. Now, Luke, when he writes about it, talks about a lot later story where the whole stars filled the sky. So, is a difference between the two, not from a correct or a right or wrong perspective, but from the account that they are recording. You see, Matthew, from Matthew's point of view, is sharing his perspective. Luke, from his point of view, is sharing his perspective. Each account is true. And so we pay close attention to the timeline and the historical data. And when we do that, the pieces fit together. Uh, Here's a third question. Why did God choose Mary? Now, when we look at how God chose Mary, we discover that she fit the prophetic description of the one who was going to be the birth mother of Jesus. She was a Nazarene. Jesus was to be called a Nazarene. She was a Galilean. And so as we look at her life, Mary fits that category. And we also see that Jesus was going to be born in a lowly position. And so Mary was not wealthy at all. Uh, She was not socially prestigious. She wasn't from an affluent city. So Jesus was going to come born humbly and not in a palace but in a manger. He came to seek and to save those who were dead. We also have another question when we look at this. We've covered the question of why is the virgin birth so important? Why are there so many different seemingly contradictory accounts of Jesus's birth? We looked at why did God choose Mary? I think the biggest point we could say is that Mary found favor with God. Luke chapter 1, verse number 11, Mary was of the right lineage through David and Boaz and Judah and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, her son would be qualified to bear the title son of David. Mary was also engaged to the man who would also provide some heritage, even though Joseph was not the father of Jesus, he would provide the heritage that would require him to go to Bethlehem. God knew that the one who was going to be the mother of Mary was going to end up in Bethlehem. Well, Mary didn't go to Bethlehem. Her engaged husband-to-be was from Bethlehem, so they went to Bethlehem at just the right time. See, Mary didn't have a report for the census. It was always the husband that would be reporting on behalf of his family. Micah 5.2 foretells the birthplace of the Messiah, pinpointing Bethlehem in Judea. So there's a 
fourth question that we got to cover. And that was the question about Jesus' family. When we look at the family of Jesus, we know that Mary remained a virgin into the Savior's birth. But we also know that Mary and Joseph, after the birth of Jesus, had other children. We even had the names of these children. Jesus had four half-brothers. Matthew 13, 55 tells us their names, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. Now, apparently these brothers were not believers in Christ until after the resurrection. As a matter of fact, if we look at the early accounts of Jesus' ministry, we discover that one of the things that those who were opposed to Christ brought up, they would say, now listen, you can't be who you say you are. You can't be the Messiah because not even your own family believes that you're the Messiah. Matter of fact, he says, look it, they're with us. And so in that number would have been Jesus's stepbrothers or his half-brothers. And they said, they're with us, not with you. We also know that Jesus probably had two half-sisters. Although they're not named, Matthew 13, 55 and 56 talks about brothers and sisters. So there was at least two sisters that he had. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we discover that he had family members that were part of his family. Question number five, was Mary sinless? And if she was not sinless, did she need a Savior? So we know very much that Mary needed a Savior. She was not sinless, although she carried the Son of God. Now, David tells us that in sin, his mother and father conceived him. The sin seed is always passed from the father. The mother is receiving the sperm. The egg is fertilized, but it is that seed of the father that brings about the sinful nature. That's why Jesus could not and did not have an earthly father. The perfection of Christ, the Godhead of Christ himself, would have been defiled. So we know that Mary was not perfect, but she was highly favored. But she recognized that she was a sinful human being who needed Jesus Christ as her Savior. As we look at the account that's given to us in Luke chapter 1, we discovered that Mary herself was making the admonition in verses 46 and 47. She says this as she's giving the praise to God for the Savior. She says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will be blessed. And as we look down at verse number 47, she says, My soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she recognized that Jesus was also going to be not only her son, but her Savior. There's another question that we look at when we look at the life of Mary. And is there any evidence that Mary was ever worshipped. There's many who worship Mary today. They bow and they pray to Mary. But you know, nowhere in Scripture does Jesus direct us to worship any other human being. Now, Mary's family praised her. Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, praised her. But her praise was based upon the blessing of giving birth to the Messiah rather than any inherent glory going to Mary. As a matter of fact, let me just read to you the song that Mary sang to the Lord, thanking him for his faithfulness 
and even allowing her to be a humble servant. We pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Oh, my soul praises the Lord. How my soul rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things, and he has scattered the proud and the ones with haughty eyes. He has brought down the prince from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. And then we learn that Mary stayed there with Elizabeth for about three months, and they went back to her own home. So here we see that Mary was not to be worshipped. She was actually worshipping Jesus himself, even before he was born. She was praising God. She is humble that the fact that she is going to be the one that's going to be called blessed, but she is never to be the one to be worshipped. Well, let's ask another question. Question number seven. Why was Mary there when her son died? Well, Jesus is there on the cross, and we learn that Jesus had Mary there, and she was experiencing that sword that Simeon promised that she would feel, but she was there grieving for Jesus. It was there at the cross that Jesus asked John to take over his responsibility and to be the son that takes care of Mary. So John took Mary into his own home. Now, if Mary had any doubts about her son's deity, after all of the persecution that he received, she would have been reassured by the darkness of the sky and the earthquake that accompanied his death. As a matter of fact, there was even a centurion there that believed as a result of the earthquake and the darkness of the world, and he said, this truly is the Son of God. Amazing when you think about it. Well, after the resurrection, what happened to Mary, the mother of Jesus? Well, when you look at the Marys, there's four prominent Marys in the New Testament, but let's try to get specific about what became of Mary, the mother of Jesus, after the resurrection of Christ. Well, Mary was with the apostles, we know, on the day of Pentecost. And as we look at the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. This is the Acts that the Apostles committed after Jesus ascended. So let's look at Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse number 14. Acts 1:14, and here it says, They all met together, and they were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So amazing when we look at this, we discover that Mary is still alive after the ascension of Christ, at the beginning of the church. She is part of the early group of people that gathered on the day of Pentecost. And it wasn't just her, but we also discovered that some of her children were there with her, the brothers of Jesus. And uh, there was about 120 believers that were gathered at that time, at the beginning of the church. Now, this is right after Jesus ascends up into heaven. So Mary was there at the ascension of Christ. Mary obviously saw Jesus 
when he was resurrected after his resurrection, and here she is part of the early church. Amazing. Now, nothing is said about Mary ascending to heaven or having an exalted role there. Now, I do hope that in heaven, I have a chance to ask Mary some questions about what happened. But Mary is never mentioned again after Acts chapter 1. So she didn't have a prominent role in the church. She was there. I'm not denying that she wasn't there. But her death is not recorded in the Bible. And after Acts chapter 1, we don't have any more information about her. Well, let's ask another question. Now, this one may, uh, may ruffle the feathers of some who are listening to me today. But question number nine is, why do the Roman Catholics believe Mary remained a virgin throughout her life? Now, Roman Catholics believe that Mary conceived and gave birth to her son without any damage to her virginity, and she remained a virgin also after the birth. Now, the perpetual virginity of Mary is a major doctrine of the Catholic Church. However, the scriptures clearly teach us that the virgin birth of Jesus, Mary was a virgin, but they do not support the idea that Mary was always a virgin. Mary and Joseph had many other children together, and uh, we kind of already covered that, but in Matthew 13, 55 through 56, we read, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, aren't they all and all of his sisters with us? And so they're making a case going against Christ, saying Christ cannot be the Messiah. I mean, he, he's just a lowly carpenter. His mother, Mary, and Joseph, they were lowly people. They were not kingly people. They weren't prominent, wealthy, influential people. They were just common people. And furthermore, the argument goes that um, because he's just a son of a carpenter, and not even his own brothers and sisters believe he is who he claims to be, obviously he can't be that. If you can't convince your family of something, why should we believe that you're something? So the Roman Catholics believe that Mary remained a virgin throughout her life, but that's contrary to Scripture. Mary and Joseph had other children. Well, that's a question number 10. Question number 10 is, should Mary be venerated and worshipped? Now, the Bible nowhere indicates that Mary can hear our prayers or that she can mediate for us with God. Jesus is our only advocate. He is the only mediator in heaven. And I will give you the text that drives home that point. And I'll read it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, as we look at verse number 5, Paul is very clear as he addresses young Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5. And it says this. There is one God and there is one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message that God gave to the world at just the right time. And so here we discover that Mary does not have the capacity to be our mediator. Mary didn't die for our sins. 
Christ died for our sins. Jesus is our only advocate. He is our only mediator. Mary would say the same as the angels said in the book of Revelation. Worship God. In fact, Mary herself sets the example for us, directing her worship, directing her admiration and her adoration and her praise to God and to God alone. Let me just give you a snippet of what she said in her praise to God. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 49. Mary cries out, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of me, the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Almighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Well, isn't that some great news today? Holy is his name. Well, I hope this has helped you today as you prepare for a brand new year. As we begin the year 2024, maybe you need a verse that will help you get through the new year. And so I'm going to give you a verse that I'm going to hope that you will claim for the new year. And this is a verse that will help you navigate through the uncertainty of 2024. It is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verse number 13. But before we get to verse number 13, I want to share with you verse number 12. And as you begin this new year, I want you to remember something. Verse 12, if you think that you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. So the Apostle Paul is writing, and he's giving us some lessons that we can learn from the nation of Israel and their idolatry. Whenever we fall into idolatry, it's because we think that we are something that we are not. This idol worship that the nation of Israel experienced, it happened to them as a warning to us. These things happened to warn us, said Paul, so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scripture says, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. We must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. So Paul says, don't be filled with pride. We must put Christ first, but we're not to put him to the test. We're to put him first in our lives. As we look at idol worship, it is anything that we do, anything that we put before God. And I found oftentimes as believers, we will put something good before God. We're not going to put something bad before God. Obviously, we have been set free from those evils of our society. But oftentimes, if we're not careful, we can become filled with pride over our family, over our jobs, over our accomplishments, over our wisdom. So Paul says, if you think that you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Verse number 13 is my life verse. Therefore, remember, the temptation that you are facing right now is no different from what all others are experiencing. God is faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tempted 
more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out of it so that you may endure. As we begin this new year, there's going to be lots of opportunities, but there's also going to be a lot of temptations. Why don't we walk in humility? Not in false humility, but genuinely humbly before the Lord. As we begin this new year, realize that no matter what we face this year, God is able. And if something comes down the pike that is greater than we can handle, He also provides a way of escape so that we won't be crushed by the trials of our world. I pray that 2024 will be the best year that you have ever had. So Lord, as we conclude this broadcast day, this broadcast year, we thank you for the wonderful year that you've given us. We anticipate you doing mighty things in the new year. I pray that we begin 2024 humble, but not cowardly, filled with courage, but not arrogance. I pray that we'll trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, that we don't lean on our own understanding, and that all of our ways, we acknowledge you. Thank you for giving us another year. We anticipate great things happening in 2024. And we pray this all in the name of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year to you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.